When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, welcome back. So as we wrap up this week, I wanted to take some time to talk about what you could sort of consider foundational information about why I and and so many others uh, discuss silver as an investment, as a hedge, as a way to preserve your wealth uh, so extensively, even relative to gold. And that's not to at all downplay gold. And certainly some of the things I talk about today will apply just as much, if not even more so, to the gold market going forward. However, you know, when it's all said and done, in the here and now, you know, I do arrive at the conclusion that for me, you know, if I'm going to choose one precious metals, uh, one of the precious metals, silver is is where I would rather be. And and of course, I've I've talked extensively in the past about how long term I'd I'd prefer gold over silver, but given the current price and given the current ratio, silver's sort of the one that makes the most sense to me. Now, what I'll be talking about today are, like I said, foundational, but also what you'd call fundamentals, not necessarily um, technicals, um, not short-term type uh, of information. Uh, so, So everything I'm saying here today, as bullish as it might sound, doesn't mean that it necessitates some overnight revaluation of of silver according to these fundamentals and according to to what we uh, you know think it would be and and you know there's you know I'm sure some fundamental indicators that are not as bullish or maybe more neutral or slightly bearish but these these five which are you know five of many I'm sure that others could list are uh, for me sufficiently you know bullish enough now I want to get into this list and and start off again this is in no particular order if I didn't, I haven't mentioned that, but this is in no particular order, these, these five reasons for, for silver. And I want to start off with uh, central banks and, and governments and, and their irresponsible policy. I mean, ultimately, I've talked about this a lot on this podcast in the past. I'm not going to go into this extensively, but um, essentially what central banks and what governments are doing right now, and they have been for, for many, many years, is... Uh, bringing forward growth into the now. And and when you bring forward growth into the present, obviously that's growth that you can't then get into the get in the future. I mean ultimately what this amounts to is is this over reliance on uh, accumulation of debt, increasing credit, um, low interest rates, money printing, quantitative easing, monetization of debt, etc. And, and this isn't a cycle that you could try and break it. It, it it's a very um, damaging cycle to break. Not saying that they shouldn't pursue that, but um, they certainly are not pursuing uh, somehow breaking this addiction. They're they're going further and further down that path, and it's a path that almost certainly will lead to devaluation of currency. I mean, that is one of the ways you get out of debt, short of of outright defaulting on it, is devaluation of currency. And we know that um, quantitative easing which, again, I've talked about extensively in the past, and low interest rate policy, which, again, helps with that debt load. Both of those policies help uh, the, the U.S. government uh, keep their, their um, A, the, the 
interest expense on their debt low, low enough to to um to make it somewhat manageable. And B, uh, oftentimes that QE is is basically um, done to to uh, um, done with intention to to actually buy government debt, essentially monetizing it because they never actually then sell that debt. I mean, at its core, these these policies are inflationary. They they debase the currency, and when you debase the currency, you know everything that is, you know, tied to that currency, and in one way or another, either gains or or loses value in in dollar terms. I'll put it this way: I shouldn't say it gains or loses value. I'll put it this way: assets, namely debt, that is denominated in a currency loses value because you buy that generally speaking unless you're talking about like tips or something that's inflation adjusted you buy it at a set interest rate and and if suddenly inflation spikes you're you know that's cutting into that interest rate essentially but then everything else you know with the exception of debt and and fiat and and you know derivatives thereof etc um everything else you know rises with that inflation stocks precious metals etc of course precious metals would be the asset that would be best suited for a high inflationary environment. They preserve their wealth. You know, they, they at least keep pace with that inflation, if not outpace it, depending on, you know, some of the other, you know, trends that are going on in, ter- in terms of, of increase in investment demand, um, fear of, of, of further inflation in the future, rotation out of fixed income, bonds, uh, uh, especially government bonds, um, and, and investment grade debt. I mean, all those things are are very bullish for silver and gold, and uh, in both ways. Not only the investment demand side of things, but also because historically speaking, you know, silver and gold have acted as money for thousands of years, and and that's not going to to end anytime soon. They and then the reason they've served that role so well is because. You know, for thousands of years, governments have had this tendency to inflate away their currency. But you can't inflate away silver and gold. So that's reason number one. Reason number two is supply trends. Now, 2020 is a peculiar year in, in so many respects, but but as it pertains to silver and, and silver supply, it's shown it's shown thus far that, that we're gonna that we can expect a significant very significant decline in silver supply coming onto the market this year in the form of both scrap as well as mine supply. Now, it, we'll see how much it is when it's all said and done. Is it going to be 50 you know, million ounces? and be closer to 100 million ounces? It's hard to say. It depends on how much, you know, how long mines are closed, how much their business is disrupted by, you know, this coronavirus recession. And certainly not going to be for lack of demand, though. Um, you could argue maybe a low price because even right now I think it's a pretty low price at around seventeen dollars an ounce, but certainly not for a lack of of demand, right? But but fifty to hundred million ounces is is only going to be tacked on to a you know long term trend of of decline in supply, particularly mining supply coming onto the market for for silver. I mean, essentially because of this low price regime for so long. You you see a lot of primary silver miners being squeezed out of the space because it's just not economic. Uh, it's not a. It doesn't make sense economically for them to continue their operations if if you know their cost per ounce is, you know, 
a couple dollars above the the spot price. And and more and more, you know, this production over the you know the trend over the past few decades, I'm sure at least, has has been to shift a lot of that to mines that mine, you know, zinc and and copper and lead and gold, and and then silver is a byproduct. You know, the, the price of silver doesn't affect that as much. They're likely to extract that regardless. There's a cost associated with it, but it's generally a profitable activity for these mines, for these companies. Um, however, you know, following these supply trends, not only has, you know, investment and in new exploration for primary silver mines, etc., um, really been lackluster. Uh, also, you know, with a major coronavirus slowdown, you have... Uh, a lot of those mines I just mentioned, in particular lead, copper, and zinc, which may be dealing with uh, closures long-term for a lack of demand. Unlike silver, they may be closed long-term, not just because, you know, lockdown orders, etc., but also because of a lack of demand going forward for those metals, which are largely industrial in nature. And we're dealing with one of the largest recessions in you know, the past hundred plus years, you know, the last time we'd have a recession on the scale would be a world war, uh, globally. Right. And, and for the United States, it's been even longer than that. So, um, the supply trends are overwhelmingly positive for the price of silver going forward, which brings us to reason number three, uh, demand trends. Now, now silver, unlike those aforementioned metals, uh, you know, copper, lead, zinc, iron, um, you know, cobalt, uh, tungsten, aluminum, basically every metal with the exception of, you know, silver and gold, um, they're, they're primarily industrial metals. Even, you know, platinum or palladium, which you could consider a precious metal, is, you know, primarily industrial in nature. Silver sort of rides this fine line. You know, gold has a fair bit of industrial demand, but but the bulk of it is, you know, for jewelry and for bars and for coins, etc. Silver is is closer to a 50-50 split. Maybe 60-40, you know. But but it has this solid base of industrial demand, which yes, is likely to decline to decline in the, you know, coming months, coming year or two because of this, you know, coronavirus recession if we, if we want to call it that. However, there is going to be a fair bit of of demand that's going to be there regardless, unless the you know, unless the entire world falls apart, sort of a a, a bare minimum of demand that's going to still be there. However, the the trend, especially as of late, has been for a massive increase in investment demand for silver, and, and that's shouldn't be unexpected. You know, back during and following the Great Recession, we had a huge rush into physical silver. Um, and, and years later, you know, 2015, 2016, we we're still seeing very strong demand for silver bullion. And and that's really what I would expect to continue. This isn't an American phenomenon either. Um, this is something that is certainly true in, in Southeast Asia. India, yeah, particularly, is a huge buyer of silver as well, um, the, their population. Not just silver for, you know, phones, or even just silverware, or, or you know, uh, silver and gold are, are a huge part of Indian culture. And again, the demand, the investment demand trend for silver is overwhelmingly positive. As I said, you know, there's negative fundamentals, and one of them is that investment or industrial demand is likely to decline. However, 
you know, less industrial demand is is probably going to mirror the decline in, you know, supply coming onto the market. But then we're also going to continue to see a significant rise in investment demand for silver. I mean, so often this this concept of Exeter's pyramid, this idea that that a uh, upside down pyramid um, really mirrors the world's different asset classes. At the top, you have things like derivatives and below that, you know, sovereign debt and then, you know, corporate debt and, and currency and and then you have you know stocks, uh, real estate, you know land, etc. And and then you know towards the bottom you have, you know, currency. I guess yeah, currency would probably be under those other ones. But then finally gold, and then at the very bottom you know silver. The idea is this flow from the top to the bottom as risk increases and as you know financial system you know crumbles. And and that's sort of what I expect to see. That's what I expect the demand trend to be going forward. You know, as I said earlier, with rising inflation, it's it's natural to expect to see a rotation out of fixed income unless, you know, interest rates rise along with that. But if interest rates rise too much for a corporation or for a sovereign nation, then you have default risk. And and that's not good for interest rates either, right? And so again, you you see this rotation to something else. Cash is, is going to be inflated away. Stocks, you have a valid argument there if you're saying stocks or real estate, but silver and gold also fit that bill as well. And we're talking about a mat, you know, these are massive markets the the sovereign debt, corporate debt markets, municipal debt markets worldwide. Massive markets. And, and the silver market is well, tiny, you know, $15 billion this year. That's the amount of silver that's likely to be produced between 15 and, you know, 17 or 16 trillion uh, billion dollars you know, depending on what the price is and depending on how much is actually mined and, and scrapped and whatnot, that's tiny compared to uh, sovereign debt markets and, and corporate debt markets worldwide. Tiny compared to to equities, right? Um, so demand trends are, are overwhelmingly positive with the exception of industrial demand, which I think is, is going to be fairly small compared to, you know, the, the or, or similar to the drop in, in supply and, and fair, uh, pretty small compared to the rise in investment demand going forward. Um, reason number four is is the ratio, the gold to silver ratio. This is a ratio that is so often talked about in the precious metals space. And right now, continues to be at a, a, a an abnormally high level. You know, it's come down in the past week or two. Previously was over 110 to 1 had been higher, closer to 120 to 1, not all that long ago. Currently, it's residing slightly above 100 to 1. However, historically speaking, that's still a very high gold to silver ratio. And, you know, if, if the past is, is any you know, instruction on how the future will you know, be shaped, what the trend will be in the future, ultimately, that ratio, we can expect it to come down. I mean, the million-dollar question is how low will it go? But but for me, it's it's really a... I mean, there's never a sure thing in investing. But it is pretty darn close to an eventuality that that ratio will come down significantly. I'm not just talking to 90 to 1 or 80 to 1. I'm talking closer to 50 to 1 at least. Maybe 40, 30, 20 to 1, depending on you know the type of momentum that silver gets in the future. But the ratio... Right, and this ties into you know a part of why I 
talk a lot more about silver than, than gold. Well, as long as I've been in the precious metals markets, that ratio has favored silver significantly. And and that's, you know, that influences my decision to silver uh, pretty heavily, the ratio. Uh, finally, silver is undervalued historically. Now, I know that this is sort of, you know, I, I, what I'm talking about here, this is, a, I'm basically saying, five reasons, you know, five fundamentals for why silver is undervalued. And, and for number five, I'm basically saying it's undervalued because it's undervalued. And it's, it sounds kind of silly, but, but another way of saying this is, is that if you compare silver, the price of silver right now to, oh, we'll say, you know, the price of silver 10 years ago, nine years ago, when it peaked in 2011, you know, if you're thinking, you know, how, how high can silver actually go? Well, you know, back then it reached close to $50, around $50. Inflation adjusted, that $50 would be much higher today, right? You look back 1980, um, reached basically $50 back then. Inflation adjusted, it'd be much, much higher than $50 today at its peak. Um, but also if you look at other things such as, you know, money growth relative to, you know, the market cap of silver, you know, the amount of physical bullion that, that, you know, was in the marketplace at any given point in time, undervalued because money growth is just so high right now here in the United States in particular, you know, M2 money growth. Um, you compare it to the accumulation of debt, uh, you know, that just take the yearly deficit right now, compare it to the price of silver or, you know, silver market cap or the amount of silver that is coming onto the market each year. Maybe that's a better measure and something we can more easily measure, you know, roughly 15, 16 billion dollars. If you're looking at that ratio, undervalued historically, you know, if if you measure it relative to the Dow Jones or the S&P, undervalued. Um, you know, maybe not undervalued relative to uh, oil right now. Uh, maybe that would be one of the few exceptions. Um, but but a lot of these long-term, you know, analyses of the price of silver beyond just how many dollars per ounce would show that silver is undervalued historically relative to the Dow Jones and the S&P, relative to the uh, yearly deficit, you know, compared to the, to the amount of silver coming onto the market each year, uh, you know, relative to M2 money growth. Um, so many, you know, really important uh, factors. So, so many important, I guess, indicators that, that should be bullish for silver in the future. I'm talking high money growth, high deficits, uh, etc. Um, all those things are are overwhelmingly overwhelmingly bullish. Uh, namely, basically, what I mean by bullish is is that they're showing that silver is undervalued right now. Again, as I said at the beginning, just because it's undervalued historically doesn't mean that it needs to go up. I mean, for years the gold to silver ratio was what between eighty and ninety to one, you know, and and it was undervalued then relative to gold, and it moved to 100 to 1, moved to 120 to 1. It doesn't mean it wasn't undervalued beforehand. It just became more undervalued. However, long term, if you're looking for something to preserve your wealth as a hedge, and yes, even as an investment, then then that's why I am ultimately led to silver as, as my answer, at least in terms of precious metals, in terms of a physical asset. Relative to gold, relative to you know the platinum group metals, uh, silver just would appear for these fundamental reasons to be much better by 
right now. Now, obviously, this isn't a technical analysis, right? We're not talking technicals of the price. We're not talking timing either. Though, I, again, I think the timing is, well, it, it um, I've, I've been, I've had this podcast for, podcast slash YouTube channel since, uh, you know, the latter half of, of 2016. And what I can say is that we are, you know, three and a half years closer to the next big bull run in silver than we were then. Is it going to be another three and a half years? I can't definitively say no. But if you've been at all paying attention to developments over the past, you know, couple months, let alone past couple years, uh, it's all, you know, overwhelmingly bullish long-term for silver. So happy to hear your guys' feedback. Hope you guys have all, all have had a great week and, and are, you know, looking forward to a, a great week. And as always, though, thank you from the bottom of my heart for tuning into today's podcast and God bless.